before we uh, have uh, Dennis come up and preach, uh, in this series, None Too Far, we have been unearthing God's stories in our own body, stories I've never even heard. I've been the pastor for, of many of you for a long time, and there are stories that I haven't even been heard yet. And uh, last week, Pastor Josh uh, preached a dynamic sermon. Wasn't that a great message last week, church? And yet he told his side of the story. Now, I've been pastoring now for 35 years, and I have learned that the husband and the wife always have, it's kind of like the four Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all have different stories, different angles that they see Jesus. I've learned that married couples always have a different angle on pretty much everything. So let's welcome, so I said, let, I said let's let Dara Lee tell her testimony this Sunday. Let's welcome Dara Lee. So uh, why don't you come over that side because you got the wire there. Okay, so uh, Dara Lee, uh, when I heard your testimony, it was so amazing. I was sharing it with Ava in the car uh, driving down uh, last week or the week before, and she was like, Dara Lee? And that's how you know Jesus has transformed somebody's life because we all know each other after Christ. We don't know who we were before Christ. When you hear the story, it seems so polarized that it just magnifies the power of Jesus Christ. So, so let's start like uh, in uh, well, let's start at the beginning. Okay, so my story is a lot different than my husband's. Um, am I echoing? It feels so weird. You good? Okay. Um, so I, but I was raised in a divorced family. We had, you know, my my parents got divorced, and then they got remarried. And then they got divorced, and then they got remarried. And so there was a lot of, you know, shifting and moving around, um, a lot of instability, if you will. But I learned to be resilient. And, um, and, I, and I was a pretty happy kid. And, and then I got to high school, and things changed. Um, I started dating somebody, and uh, about Three months into our relationship, well, he was he was um, in an abused family, so he he was always abused by his stepfather. And then um, three months into our relationship, we were on the phone and a fight started. Um, sorry, I'm looking around to see if there's any kids, just in case. Uh, a fight started, and which was normal. It sounded like you know a physical fight, and so then the phone ended up getting hung up and I called back and then the fight was still going and you know I'm hearing it and and then uh, the phone gets hung up again and I call back and I can't get through anymore and so then the next day um, and then the next day I get a phone call from a girl in my school and she goes um, is it true and I was like is, is what true and she goes did your boyfriend kill his stepfather and like in that moment, my everything just froze and crashed at the same time. And you know, I'm just a few days away from being 15. Um, it's not typically like, you know, what 15 year olds go through at that time. Um, you're thinking about prom and you know, hanging out with your friends. And and I was thinking about going to court appearances and trials and 
literally driving to a maximum security prison, you know, multiple times a week. Um, and that became my world. And so that that's what led me down a very dark, um, the beginning of a very dark place and time in my life. Um, and so I started, I started drinking and I started partying and, uh, and also hiding it, you know, from even the kid I was dating as he was in prison. Um, and, uh, so. Yeah. So you started going down that road. Yeah. You're hiding your drinking and your partying and your drug use. Yeah, experimenting with that yeah, and with, you're just hiding it from your mom, from your boyfriend. So you were living this double life. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, because I didn't know how to cope with all that was going on, and so then um, my mom at the time had started going to a Christian church, and that wasn't before that. That wasn't part of our life. Um, barely ever went to church. And uh, so she started telling me, you know, pray and ask God to reveal himself to you. And I was like, well, you know, God has other things to do. I mean, he's probably out there dealing with world hunger and, you know, bigger things than my life. And um, How she, many of you ever felt that, had that thought go through your mind before? Yeah. Like he's not big enough to handle all of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, but I did. It stuck with me what she said, and, and I started praying um, every night before I went to bed. I was just like, God, if you're real, you know, and you're in the details of my life, you know, you need to reveal yourself to me. And uh, in a really weird way, he brought this scripture um, in front of me, which was Exodus fourteen twenty one, and about the, the uh, Red Sea being parted, and I was like, okay, I don't know how that. Well, wait a minute. You got to explain how that was interpreted as as a Bible verse. So I was looking for something, and I I found it in my math book, and on the page it said EX fourteen twenty one, like a big EX fourteen twenty one, and and that meant example fourteen twenty one. But my mom goes, that looks like a Bible verse, and <laughs> I, so let's look it up and. Um, and yeah, and I didn't, I didn't understand how that had anything to do with me. But then the Bible that she had given me had notes at the bottom and, um, and it said at the, in the notes, it said, no matter how difficult life looks, uh, God is in the deep, spoke to my heart, you know, gripped my heart at that moment. I just knew that like, even though I felt like you know, the, the ocean was swallowing me that God was going to open up a way. So I carried on with life. I, I knew, okay, God's real. But then I just carried on with the way things were going and still going down that path. And, um, and then all that guilt and shame just kept piling on. And then one day in my room, I just went into my room and cried out to God. And nobody had told me, like, this is what you do for a sinner's prayer or, you know, how to lead somebody to the Lord. Like, it just came out of my heart. It just, like, poured out of my heart. I just cried, repented, asked God into my heart. And then all of a sudden, that heaviness was 
just gone in an instant and and peace and love just washed over me and so i was changed for about four months yeah you, you told me you told me you walked into that room one way and you walked out a different way yeah and to you that was like nobody could ever take that away no from you. Yeah. no i knew after that like that's it except i i didn't I didn't uh, follow through. Yeah. Well, you didn't know what to do next. Yeah. Yeah. What so do you do now? I lived off of that kind of like that initial high, if you will, for about four months. And then, you know, life kept happening and kept going through that trial for a couple, two and a half years. And then made my way, you know, through that. Um, and then got involved in another relationship, another bad relationship and uh went through that one for about two years two and a half years until i realized this person is a liar like a, just a major liar and so then left that relationship just kept doing my thing going through life and just adding on more stuff um more hurts and and doing it my way and um so then, then, you know, what do you think I did next? I got into another relationship that I shouldn't have been in. And um, this person knew all the trust issues that I had. And, and so I, you know, like they, they just made it a point to make me trust again. So I thought, this is it. This is going to be... The person that I spend my life with um, moving to Maryland and so that's where he was and so I had everything set up I feel like I skipped parts but anyway I don't think so okay so you closed out your bank account in Connecticut you opened up a bank account in Maryland because you're gonna move yep. in with your I, yep your your soulmate and um, and I had an apartment all picked out everything was ready to go and I mean, I, I was probably a couple weeks away and then I start feeling this huge disconnect in my heart, like feeling like something was blocking me from God. And so I start praying, God, you know, whatever is blocking me from you or you from me, just take it out of my life. And I should have known what it was going to be, but I didn't. And a week later or so, um, I get this feeling in my heart that he cheated on you. So I call him, and I don't know what, I mean, obviously it was the Holy Spirit, but like otherwise there was no reason for me to think that. So I called and asked, and then there was just dead silence on the phone. So then again, you know, I'm crushed. I'm just feeling broken and all the the lack of trust that I have is just you know all right there again and just hurting um, and so I call my bank I'm like I have to shut down my bank account they're like you have to drive here you can't do that over the phone so I lived in Connecticut at the time and had to drive five hours and so I'm on the way to Maryland, and uh, I had talked to my 
ex on the way saying, I need you to get my stuff, you, you know, and I'm angry, like angry. And so I tell him, you have to meet me at the bank and I want everything. And, you know, um, so then I talked to my mom and, and on the way and she's like, well, let's pray. And I'm like, you pray. I don't want to pray. You can pray. I'm just angry. Like, just let me be. And then, um, so she prays, and then I go into the bank, and I tell them i got to close my account. Um, that's all I told them. You know, they sit me down with a bank teller in an office, and um, he just asks me my regular information, you know, my name, my, my Social Security number. I give him my ID, that type of thing. He goes to get my money and comes back, and he goes... I really feel like God wants me to tell you this. Um, A lot of times, girls will go from one relationship to another, just around and around in circles and, you know, broken relationships. And God wants you to know that he has the right person for you. Don't settle. And, like... (laughs) My husband's waiting for uh, a round of applause. He's doing the peacock in the back for those who are online. Um, so here I am, completely broken, hurting, and then this random stranger who knows nothing about me tells me, you know, what God wanted to speak to my heart. And in that moment, I just start bawling. And I'm crying, and I'm like, you have no idea what you just said. And it just, like, washed away all of that hurt and pain mm-hmm. in an instant. Wow. I, I mean, I was so, like, set free in that, in that moment that um, I went outside to meet my ex and, and get my stuff, and he was waiting to see a a very angry me. Um, And I went, and I was like, you have no idea what just happened to me in the bank. But I just want you to know that, like, I wish you the best. I hope your life is great. God bless you. (laughs) See you later. (laughs) Like, everything was just complete. There was no more resentment. There was no more anger. And I left the bank and went, straight back to my church and got there in time for a nighttime service, ran right up to the altar call, recommitted my life, and Woo. that was it. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, now we got to expedite. Isn't that just beautiful? Isn't that a beautiful testimony? we got to expedite up to uh, when you met Peacock Man back there. And so... <laughs> And so what? It was like a year later. It was a year later. I was just like, I am not interested in finding anybody for myself. God's going to have to do it. And I met Josh. Um, I had his band come and play at our cafe, which was uh, right in front of our church. And, um, you know, we just all exchanged numbers. We were just friends. I made that very clear that I just wanted to be friends. And she put you in the friend zone. I told him, <laughs> guard your heart. I don't want <laughs> for one month. You have to be patient for one month. Um, but anyway, so he calls me and, and after we all exchange numbers and he says, he leaves me a message. I've been praying for you all night. I didn't even go to work today. And I was like, 
oh gosh, like he's got a crush. That's, you know, so I, I made sure that he knew that we were just friends. And you told me that, that he, he, he thought that was going to impress you <laughs> and you being as practical as you are, you're like, well, that's irresponsible. That was irresponsible. <laughs> I haven't changed. Neither has he. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, so then, uh, yeah, then I told him in that first conversation where we're talking, I'm telling him, guard your heart. We're just friends. Um, he asks me, you know, so what kind of girl were you? And I'm like, well, this is what I was. This is what Jesus did in my life. And, and now I'm different. And it was like silence. And then, well, I got to go. And I was furious. I, yeah, I was, um, really angry. And if you guys don't know the backstory, Josh gave his testimony last week and he preached a sermon on self-righteousness. He was right. His testimony is I was raised, he was raised in the church. And so he thought he was better than everybody else that had gotten involved in drugs and immorality and, and promiscuous and all that kind of stuff. And he thought God was going to bring him a virgin, pure woman, never tainted by the world. And he felt God said, this is her. So then he said, well, tell me your story. So she tells him her story and he's appalled and hangs up on her. <laughs> and she's like, you are going to judge me? Yeah. I, yeah. And, um, yeah. So I was like, if anyway, so that the next day he called and said, I felt like God was telling me that I was going to miss out on one of the best people in my life. And so he, he made it right. Amen. And here we are 15 years later. Amen. <laughs> Great job. Great testimony. Amen. All right. Well, that testimony was worth the time it took. And now let's welcome Dennis McNally to come preach the gospel. Testing one, two. Is this on? Yeah. Great. Could, um, could you put that scripture up? First Peter 2, 9. <clears throat> this is uh, the Message Bible. Let me fix this here. But you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for a high calling of priestly work. Chosen to be a holy people, God's instrument to do his work and to speak out for him. To tell others of the night and day difference he made for... Keep going. What? For, uh, oh, for you. From nothing to something, from rejection to exception. It was a good translation. To speak out. I got the speak out part. Um... And it, it talks about priestly work. And um, when we were in the prayer room, John had mentioned about being priests, that we're all priests. You don't have to wear a collar to be a priest. You're called a priest, the Bible says, a royal priesthood, it says in the King James, a holy nation. Each one of us a priest. Like that banker. Yeah, like the banker was a priest. Yeah, yeah. And he was speaking out when he needed to speak out. <clears throat> to be healthy as a church... I pastored for many years, and to be healthy as an individual, as a priest, you need three ministries. I want you to remember these ministries. It's real simple. The first ministry, as a priest, is ministry to the Lord. 
That's prayer, praise. That's what we were doing here. That's our first and primary ministry. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Part of the priest is loving your neighbor. So, the, But the first and primary is to the Lord. And I'm, I'm you know, the last time I preached, I talked about, uh, uh, you know, that, that, that God's called us a house of prayer. And, and, you know, and I encouraged people. I think last week, I think we had like 25 people back there praying and before the service. And sometimes I've been back there and I go, I don't want to go to a service. That's a good service back there in prayer. <laughs> so what, what, what are we doing? We're going to the Lord. Lord. Yeah. That's a priest. Second ministry. First is to the Lord. Second ministry is to the body of Christ where we take care of one another. Yeah. We look after one another. We pray for one another. My wife and I, we get together every, almost every day, and we pray for different people in the body that are sick or probably That's ministry to the body. What I'm doing today is ministry to the body, right? Yeah. Preaching to you. Third ministry, and this is the one that we'll be talking about today that we've been talking about, that I, I appreciate a pastor that loves evangelism, you know? The third ministry, to be healthy, to be strong as a church, we have to have a ministry to the lost. Yeah. Ministry to the ch- God, yeah. body, lost. So to be balanced as a Christian, as a priest, and do the work, you need to speak out to the lost. There's different ways we can speak out to the lost. You know, Some people go, well, just live the life. Well, there's a lot of good people out there that live the life. But people need to hear the gospel. Faith comes by hearing what? Hearing the word of the Lord. Now, it comes in different ways. You don't have to go up to anybody and say, repent, you dirty sinner. I mean, there's certain ways you can approach people, and you need to be led by the Spirit and be open to, to the Holy Spirit for the lost. And everybody said? Amen. Okay, so... I'm to give my testimony. My testimony is pretty radical. Um, it's different than Mark's. I don't know who Mark, when Mark gave his testimony, I don't know what Christians he was, went to, but I would have never put up with Mark. I mean, I, can you imagine, you know, putting up with Mark all that time? Fortunately, nobody had to put up with me because I got zapped. So I was raised um, in a home uh, kind of raised Irish Catholic. I made my first Holy Communion because my dad was Catholic. My mom wasn't, but my dad was. So I knew a little bit about, uh, I never read the Bible. We, we didn't give out Bibles or anything in the Catholic Church, but, but I was raised in, you know, in the Catholic Church. My dad was an alcoholic, and I, I, it was pretty messed up life. I became an alcoholic. Uh, I started drinking at about 13 and started drinking all the time. And then, of course, in the 60s, drugs came in. So then I was taking a lot of drugs. And then pretty soon I started dealing drugs and living in a party house uh, with my friends and, and the rest. And I, I'm, I'm going to try to make the testimony as short as I can. And, and anyway, so, so you know, I'm, pretty soon I started shooting heroin. Front, some of the friends we started smoking dope with and doing stuff with became heroin addicts. So... So I had access to heroin. So I, it's called shipping. I used to shoot heroin on, on the weekends because I didn't want to get addicted during the week because I needed to work a little bit so I could eat. So anyway, so 
So anyway, I, I, I overdosed on heroin. My friends tried to keep me alive. I turned purple, and the ambulance came. Anyway, I came back. Obviously, I'm here. And, and, uh, and afterwards, I started thinking about death, you know, and pretty soon, before I was just partying, and, you know, my life was a total mess and, and, uh, and the rest, but, uh, you know, I never thought about death. I never thought about God. Um, you know, there was one guy in high school, I never heard about Jesus or being born again or the gospel or whatever. I found out later there was people there that probably were afraid to talk to me. I was a little on the wild side. And, and, uh, and so um, I, I went to an unemployment office with my friend um, that we lived up in the Oakland Hills. And he went in, and I, I was sitting down, and there was a woman with a bonnet on her head, you know, ne next to me, and she started talking to me about Jesus. And I went, the weird-looking woman, you know, and the rest. And all of a sudden, my old friend, Greg, who we used to drop acid with and party and stuff, and, and his mind was gone, but now his mind was sober. But he, 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 didn't, he didn't dress, he didn't have long hair anymore, and he, and he sat down next to me with these weird glasses, horn rim. He looked like a nerd is what he looked like, and I was going, Greg? What do you? And he started talking to me about Jesus, and he gave me a track. And I says, what are you and all of a sudden, this other guy, Mike, came by, and he was a partier, and he was with Greg, and he started talking to me. about. I was surrounded by people talking to me about Jesus. I never heard about Jesus before wow. until that time. Wow. And so I'm reading this thing going, what the heck? And so my friend doesn't know anything that's happening, so we get into his, his, his old Cadillac, you know, and we light up a joint. He lights up a joint and passes it to me. I'm reading a track, and I'm going, I don't want that joint. And he says, What? I mean, I've never turned down a joint in my life. And I says, yeah, you got to read this. Anyway, I didn't never experience conviction before, but I was convicted, but I didn't know what it was. After about 10 minutes, hey, where's the joint? Oh, forget it. Yeah, I totally forgot about the whole thing and just went on with my life. Well, I didn't forget Greg. So that, this is part of my testimony. So one, uh, one night I... I was in my, I borrowed my friend's new car and, and I was partying and, and the rest taking a lot of drugs and the drugs weren't working. It was the first time, I mean, some heavy drugs and they weren't working. And um, so I went to the guy that got me the drugs and I grabbed him and I said, this doesn't work. And, and he says, well, well, they're good drugs. And I go, they're not working, you know. And so I got in my car and all of a sudden, it was the first time I thought about suicide. I said, I think I'll kill myself. I'm not very happy. I'm, I know what I'll do. I'll go on the freeway, and I'll ram my car into an embankment going 100-something miles an hour. So when, when I was going to go do that, I was thinking, wait a minute. I got my friend's new car. What if I don't die? I'll have to pay for it. <laughs> Can you imagine thinking like that? So, so all of a sudden, but I'm in despair, and, and I, had a, I, I had a brother. I'm sorry. I had a brother that died of cancer of the brain. His, they didn't have shunts back then, so his head got about this big. And, and I was about 12, 11. And, 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 you know, I kind of believed in the Catholic Church or something. I might have prayed. I don't know. But anyway, he died. So I hated God. You know, just be honest with you. I never went to church. I didn't believe in God. If he was, he would never let my brothers like that. So, so anyway, so... From the age of 12 until I got saved, 
I just turned 22, a little over 50 years ago. I never cried, not once. Never had tears. I was demon-possessed. You know, I was demonized. I was, you know, I probably didn't have much longer to live anyway because I took so many many drugs and I was so demonized. So I'm in this car wanting to commit suicide and I'm driving and all of a sudden I start crying out to God. I don't know. I know. I I knew about the Catholic Church and I knew about kind of the cross because Jesus was up there. And all of a sudden I said, God, God, show me the cross. Show me a sign. And all of a sudden I went like this. Tears. I hadn't had tears since I was 12. I went, I'm crying. I'm, I'm, I'm crying. I said, show me where Greg is. Because Greg was the only one who told me about Jesus when I was, I still remembered. The one with the bonnet. And, the, you, know, and you know, I still remembered. And I hadn't seen Greg for a couple of years, I guess, or whatever. I said, show me where Greg is. And, um, you know, I just, nothing happened. You know, and so I went, you know, you know, I was kind of, felt kind of weird. So I went into this bar, biker bar. I, I used to have a Harley. <clears throat> And a couple of things. Anyway, so, so I went in this biker bar that I'd been into a hundred times, maybe more. We dealt drugs in there and, and the rest. And I, <clears throat> I went in. It was about two in the morning. And I, I, you know, I had this experience, you know, and, I, and all of a sudden I look at, in the bar. And there was one person in that bar, and it was Greg's brother, who had never been in that bar before, Billy. Billy was uh, backslidden, and he was you know, taking drugs and partying and stuff. So I went up. When I saw Billy, the fear of God hit me. I never felt the fear of God before, and I was shaken. I was going, there's a God. There's a God. There's a God. I better find out what's going on here. You know, I mean, I got fear. I go, man, there's a God. He just answered my prayer. Where's Greg? There's Billy. So I went in and says, hey, Billy, where's Greg? He says, he just moved back with my dad, which was right around the corner from my mom's house, which was only about five minutes from the bar I was at. So I said, call him up now. I wasn't going to wait. Call him up now. And he called, called him up, and his dad answered. And his dad usually just hangs up because all you know, friends you know, forget it. And he says, well, let me go get Greg. He got Greg at 2 in the morning. Greg got on the phone and says, oh, there's some doper. I used to know years ago, what's he doing calling me at this hour? You know, this is what he's thinking in his head, but he's wide awake. So he says, hey, I said, Greg, Greg, I got to see you now. And he went, oh, okay, I'm coming over. And so got in my car, went over there. I had a beard down to here. I let it grow for a couple years. My hair was, you know, I mean, he didn't know who I was when I first came up, you know, you know, because he hadn't seen me for a while. And he, and he goes, oh, man, here's this wild guy, one, two, and two, three. So he takes me in his back room, and, and he starts going over the Bible with me, you know. And I, I didn't know anything about the Bible, you know, and, and the rest. I, and, and he says, would you like to receive Jesus Christ into your life and, uh, and be saved? And I go, I, I, I didn't know what that meant. I said, whatever. You know, I just, I got the fear of God on me. I mean, there's a God. So, so he says, just pray with me. And I says, I don't know how to pray. I remember Hail Mary's a little bit and our fathers, but I don't know how to pray. He says, just repeat this prayer with me. I said, 
Okay? Uh, Lord Jesus, just a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come in my life. And boom! Instantly. Heroin left. Drugs left. Alcoholism left. Swearing left. Everything left. Instantly. I was totally delivered instantly by the power of God at 3 in the morning in this guy's bedroom. So I walk out of the bedroom and I walk outside and I go, there's like scale. All of a sudden I go, Greg, I can see flowers. I got, look at the sky. Look at, it was like there was scale. I was so demonized that everything left me instantly. And so I got in my car, my friend's car, and I says, I got to tell people about this. And so I got in my car at 3 in the morning. I went to my friend's house. He was sleeping with his girlfriend. Went into their house, jumped on their bed at 3 in the morning, said, I found God! I found God! And they go, Dennis took too many drugs. I, I always told him he took too many drugs. So then I went home to my house in Oakland. We had tapestries hanging, you know, incense, Dope, you know. I woke up him and his girlfriend. Hey, I found God. I found God. He goes, oh shit. So I, so I go to bed, and at at noon, these two girls that used to come visit our house in Oakland. One was a girlfriend of my friend, but she, they both been saved. But I didn't know what save was, and they would always talk to my two roommates, but they'd never talk to me because I was too demonized. They were afraid of me, I'm sure. And all of a sudden, my, my room, they come to the, at, at noontime, they come to the house to see my friend, and they say, hey, something happened to Dennis. He said he found God. So I'm, I wake up at noon, and these two girls are jumping on my bed going, you found God, you found God. And I go, I found God. <laughs> I don't think God was lost. I think I was, right? So then... Uh, you know, you go, well, how did you start preaching? I, I said, well, I just shared with every... I thought you had to share. I didn't know the rules. So I, I, all I did was tell everybody about God. I said, Jesus changed my life. That's all I knew. And then, you know, the Bible started... I started reading the Bible and I went, man, it's, that's me. And it was just a supernatural experience. Like Paul on the way to Damascus, Boom. Probably because of my temperament. I don't know. You know, I, I didn't go through the process like Mark. But everybody gets saved different times. I mean, I got zapped. So, so I, I never liked talking in front of people in school or anything else. I cheated through school. But, and, uh, and this guy where I worked, he had gotten saved, and he joined a band. He was a great drummer, and it was called Gideon's Army. The band, and, and he heard about my testimony. He went, man, we, can you share your testimony at the Hayward Plunge? And I go, yeah, yeah, the Hayward Plunge. It was the battle of the bands. There was about seven bands there. They were the only Christian band there. People were smoking dope, drinking, hundreds of people. And I go, yeah, yeah. So I get up, <laughs> so I get up to share my testimony. And I don't like talking in front of people. I'm scared. You know, I'm kind of shaking. And then I, uh, so I get up. These two girls that jumped on me, you know, they took me there. And, uh, you know, I was you know, maybe a month old in the Lord, a couple, a few months, a couple of months. And, and so I get up and I go, he says, oh, in between the bands, Gideon says, oh, we have a guy who wants to share something. So I get up there and I go, Mama, 
And I looked around. I, got, I was so nervous. My, 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 my name is Dennis. And this guy, he had a big quart of beer. We can't hear you. Speak up. Like that, just like that. He yelled at me, you know. And all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost fell on me. And I went, who made the heavens? Who made the clouds? Who, and I just started preaching. I didn't know I could preach. And everything was quiet, God. And I got my testimony, and I walked down, and these two girls looked at me, and they said, we didn't know you could do that. And I looked at them, and I said, I didn't know I could do that either. <laughs> Since then, I've been preaching around the world. You know, I mean, you know, it's a gift. So, so uh, let me um, let me share some other testimonies of, of just um, concerning salvation. After I was about six months old in the Lord, you know, God's, you know, I, you know, I figured, well, I'm ready to lead a church. I'm ready to lead anything. Six months, I'm pretty old in the Lord now. I read the Bible. I mean, I was that cocky. So, so uh, um, all of a sudden, my mom calls me. I'm living in an apartment. She says, hey, there was a letter from St. John's Catholic Church for you. St. John's for me? It's personal. I go there and says, yeah, I never get any mail there. I'm 22 years old. It says, St. John, Dennis McNally. I open it up. It's about money or whatever. But it, when I open it up, the Lord said, I want you to go there and ask him about a Bible study. And I go, go to the rectory, you know, where the priest store. I said, what? But Catholics don't read the Bible. And, and I'm thinking to myself, so I went over to Greg. I, he was my disciple. And I says, Greg, I, I got this letter, and I feel like the Lord said to go over there. And back then, we had chick tracks. The Pope was an antichrist. I mean, you don't go into, a, into the, you know, because they pray to Mary, and they do all this. So, I, you know, I was anti-Catholic. So, so Greg goes, I don't know. Go see. Knocked on the rectory door. A guy named Father Egan, Egan came out. And I says, do you have any Bible study? You know, and he says, yeah, we just started one today with young people. Wow. And I went, ooh, man, I'm hearing from God. So I started going to the Bible study. All these young people, they were 18, 16. I was the oldest one. And none of them really knew the Bible. So you know, I kind of took over the, the study. But Father Egan you know, kind of uh, you know, controlled it. So I'm sharing, you know, different things in the Bible and stuff. And after about a month or so, he said, listen, we can go away to Lake Tahoe. I get these, um, this hotel's giving us all these rooms free. So I go into a room with a guy named Dan Young. Well, Dan, I figure, well, he's Catholic. These people are Catholic. They don't know what they're doing. You know, they're not saved, obviously. You know, so, so I go in there with him, and I start telling him about my testimony and Jesus coming in your life and stuff. And he says, I think I did that. And I says, no, no, you don't understand. Let me show you. Let me, let me. So I gave other scriptures and stuff, and finally he says, I, th I think I did that. And I says, well, you're Catholic. You didn't do that. And, and, and I was thinking to myself, okay, tell me what happened. He says, well, I was, I was smoking dope and stuff, and, and my girlfriend broke up with me, and I was just depressed. So I went into my room by myself. And, and I prayed a prayer. And I says, well, what was the prayer? He says, Jesus, come into my body. Jesus, come into my body. And, and he said, he came into my body. And I jumped up and down. I went, Jesus is in my body. And I go, well, let me show, let's show you what happened to you. Because he didn't know what happened to him. He just, 
he, he went in and called the Catholic Church, and it was just so happened the same day I called. So I said, now you've got to get filled with the Holy Ghost. You've got to speak in tongues. You've got to get power. He says, I want that. I says, okay. And so I went over the scripture. And I said, I'm going to lay hands on him. So I laid hands on him. The power of God knocked him over in the room. He didn't know anything about being slain. The Spirit he started speaking out in tongues. So on the way back from the hotel, going back home, I was in, in a car with a bunch of young people. There was six of them. And a, a, woman, a girl named Debbie, she was about 16 or so, was next to me. So I started telling her about my testimony and stuff. And she looked at me and she says, I want that. I want Jesus. I says, well, okay, let's pray. No air conditioner. We're going through Sacramento at 100 miles, uh, uh, you know, 100 degrees, and, and all the windows are down. And I'm praying for her. And all of a sudden, she gets gloriously saved right there. She starts testifying to all the other people. Pretty soon, all of them got saved later, you know, all of them. So she goes home. Her, her parents, are, we're talking strict Catholics. Manny was his name. And she went home. I didn't tell her to do this. She went in. It was a statue of Joseph and Mary and all these statues. And, and she says, I only want Jesus. And she took them all and put them in her closet. So her dad comes in. He goes to Mass every day. He goes, where's the statues? He says, well, I only want Jesus. He says, well, where did you get that idea? And so he brought them out, and she put them back. And finally, <laughs> finally, uh, <laughs> We started a Catholic charismatic meeting. It was called St. John's Catholic Charismatic Meeting. And, I, you know, I'm six months old in the Lord. So these two older women said we have, uh, they were older in the Lord than me. They were going around testifying. There was another guy, John. His name is uh, John. He was doing the, the readings at the Mass. All these people got saved without me. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, they got saved on their own. So they're believing for a move of God at this Catholic church. And, but they want a man. And I said, and they came to me, and they said, we want you to lead this. And I go, yeah, of course. I'm six months old of the Lord. I should be leading, you know. <laughs> I was cocky. So anyway, so we, we started this Catholic charismatic meeting. Hundreds. For five years, it was open. We, we, did, we did masses. We went in and, and did the mass, and we'd do the reading. I'd do the readings, share the gospel. We had a, a folk mass where all, the, all our musicians that, were, were, was at St. John's. None of them were Catholic, I don't think. But anyway, they would do the folk mass. and So we saw a move of God at a Catholic church for five years. Now, I was criticized for going there. I was criticized. I, I, I didn't go there to be fed. I went there so I could see Catholics, hundreds of them, come to the Lord. We would preach the gospel every week. That's all I knew anyway. I, you know, get saved, get water back. Sometimes we'd water baptize Ties them in pools and other places, and, and then, then they'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. But, I, you know, I, I was too young. I couldn't pastor anybody. I mean, you know, but I, I knew the gospel. And the other people knew the gospel. So we had a whole core group, and, and God moved until finally they kicked us out. They, had to, <laughs> they, they finally got a vigor over the, the charismatic, and they asked questions about Mary and about a bunch of other stuff. And I go, we're gone. So we got kicked out. But, but in the meantime, you know, the Lord did some things there. So I want to I um, share a couple quick stories about um, some people that got saved. One of them was a guy named Billy, uh, Billy Mason. And Billy was, um, uh, his parents watched over me 
and Greg and some other people, and they had to have Bible studies in their home. We got really close. Billy was about 12 years old. And, I, and Billy, you know, never really served the Lord. He went out and started taking drugs. He was partying and got lived with some wild woman and stuff. And I didn't, you know, I, you know so, but his parents were strong Christians. So uh, one day uh, this guy owed me some money and he gave me this brand new shotgun. Brand new shotgun. Well, I grew up hunting with a hunting dog when I was a kid, and I had shotguns. I go, I don't need this shotgun. I said, Lord, what do you want me to do with the shotgun? And the Lord says, give it to Billy. I go, Billy? Billy? He says, yeah, yeah, I want you to give it to Billy and tell him that this is a gift from Jesus. And I says, okay. It's kind of strange, but... So I called his parents. I says, where's Billy? So I went over and knocked on his house with a shotgun. <laughs> I go, hey, hey, Billy. <laughs> and I go, he says, Dennis, he knew I was, pa- I was pastoring a church at this time. And I just started pastoring. And, he, and, and Billy, <laughs> Bill, Billy looks at me and he says, I'm here to give you the shotgun. You're going to give me a brand new shotgun? Yeah. He says, but, but it's not really from me. It's from Jesus. And he wants to let you know he loves you. And this is a gift from Jesus. Here, take it, Billy. And Billy didn't, you know, he didn't know how to respond. Oh, thank you. Well, what happened, he was haunted by that shotgun for a few weeks. Pretty soon, him and his girlfriend showed up in the church, got gloriously saved from a shotgun. You know, I mean, you see, the Holy Spirit knows how to touch people. So, so anyway, so Billy and <laughs> so <laughs> Billy and Laura are, you know, they're kind of wild. You know, they're not conservative. And they asked me, they said, we want to get married. I says, great. I says, where do you want to get married? He says, on, the wa- on a water slide. I said, on a water slide. That, that's interesting. So, he, yeah, we go to Windsor, and it's a, a campground place where, uh, uh, where his uh, wife, Laura, and the brother and everybody, they camp there every year. But there's seven water slides. This thing's huge. Seven different water slides, you know. Um, two of them go into one pool. So, so they reserved the whole place for us. So we bring uh, my missions pastor. He's already a guy that puts up sound. He's got all these big speakers. He's done you know, concerts for Keith Green and all these other people. And so he puts up the big speakers and the, <laughs> the water slide. And, and so they close one of the water slides. And the water slides go down. Two of them go down like this. So I go down. Uh, I got... Uh, Swimming trunks on, a white shirt. I go down first with the groom, and we go into the water. And on the other side, the groomsmen and the bridesmaids come down at the same time. They meet in the middle. And so we got, I got pictures of all this. And anyway, so all of a sudden, and then finally the bride comes down with her dad. Where dad's an ex-Marine, but he's got a bum leg. He's got a cane. He didn't care. He came down with, with his with his daughter and gave her away with his cane and they fell in the water and you know it was just it was wild here's the thing here's the thing is is that they decided since the wedding was only going to be like a half an hour an hour or whatever they closed all the water slides they said we want you all to go to the wedding we invited them all to the wedding so i could preach the gospel we had these big speakers, so I preached the gospel. That's what Billy wanted anyway, you know, and Laura. You know, they just got gloriously saved. So, so we had a wedding, but I preached the gospel. So, so you know, I didn't have an altar call. I couldn't get people in the water. So, but I just, I did preach the gospel. So afterwards, <laughs> my youngest son, 
who was eight at the time. I think he was eight. He's almost 40 now. So it had to be 30-something years ago. So I'm watching over him. The other ones are teenagers. They're out and having a great time at the water slide. So, so my eight-year-old looks at me and says, Dad, Dad. I said, yeah. He says, this is the best wedding I've ever been to. <laughs> and I says, yeah, I guess so. Look at you. And there was a woman behind me, us. And she had tears in her eyes. And she looked at me and she said, she said, thank you for preaching. I've come here now for 20 years. I'm the only one saved in our family. We have 25 family members that come every year. And you, and I've been praying that the gospel, they would all hear the gospel. They were all there at the wedding and heard you preach. And she started crying, thanking me. It's amazing how the gospel can go forth. Amen? Tell you, tell you another story. We, we had a, uh, our, our high school had uh, people that turned 60, I think it was, at a park. And I didn't go to some of the reunions. I finally felt like I should go to this one. So I went. And one of my best friends, is, uh, his name's Tim. He's a heroin addict. He's all messed up. And my mom has seen him, and she's cried over him. And, and, and the rest. But anyway, there, and you know, and so I had a good time with people. You know, I'm, I'm sure I shared something. I don't, you know, I'm, because it's a natural thing. I don't think, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach the gospel today. It's just natural. So, so all of a sudden, after a couple of weeks, Tim shows up to the church. My mom is uh, one of the receptionists there uh, during the week because we had people come in and out all the time. And she knocks on my door. And she says, Tim's here. And my mom's crying. But Tim is here. And I go, Tim? Really? So Tim comes in my office and he says, I've been haunted by uh, the last couple weeks. And I said, well, by what? He says, you asked me a question. I said, I did. What did I say? He says, what are you doing with Jesus? I said, I don't even remember asking the question. I said, that, I said that to you? What are you doing with Jesus? I probably, I'm, I'm sure I did, but I just did it naturally. I didn't remember, wow, this is going to bring conviction to Tim. I just, you know, just said, hey, what are you doing with Jesus? And it haunted him for two weeks. He couldn't get it out of his mind. So he came in, came in my office, prayed with me and my mom, got gloriously saved, got totally delivered, and he became, uh, uh, we, we had a cafe, a coffee cafe at the church, and we, we called it Tim's Cafe because he was a total servant. And he, he would serve coffee and the rest. But it, but it was just, a, it's a natural. God wants us to share the gospel, but he doesn't want us to like put on the priestly robe and do it. Just share it. Yeah. Just yeah. like, and, and that's, that's the way God wants you to do it. Just naturally. Um, I'm going to share a little story. Uh, my mom, my mom wasn't done. Not, not, I couldn't find anybody in the history of my family that were saved. Other people find Christians. I couldn't find any grandfathers, great grandfathers, the rest. So I was kind of the first one saved. And my mom, it was a guy named Julio Rubal. I don't know if he, but he, he used to fill stadiums in Bolivia and he had a healing ministry. Somehow he wound up at our church. My mom had a heart condition. She came to the service. Julio prayed for her, instantly got uh, healed and, and saved. My mom did. So she became one of the secretaries there at the church I pastored and, and <clears throat> later on, you know. And um, 
Uh, I'm losing my... Oh, yeah. My, so I, I, I would continue to pray for my dad. I had to forgive my dad. I, I had unforgiveness for him, and the Lord delivered me from that, showed me my, you know, my dad's past and, and, and the rest. And so my, but my dad never got saved. You know, no, no, you know, he would... You know, we'd have family things once in a while, and the, my parents were split up. You know, they were with different partners. And so... Um, so one day I woke up. My dad had emphysema really bad from smoking. And I woke up one morning and I said, man, I need to go see my dad. I think he's going to die. And so, uh, so I went. I, uh, my secretary said, you, you better go see him. But he was a few, you know, a few hours away, so I packed some bags. I went to see him, and, and there was my dad. He's in the hospital. He's on oxygen and stuff. So I'm wheeling him around. So I'm, I... I go, man, you know, so I talked to him a little bit about the Lord, but not much because he, he, you know, he didn't want anything to do with the Lord. So the next day I wheeled him around and stuff, and finally I went to his doctor, and I says, hey, doc, is my dad going to die? And he says, oh, he's probably got another year at least left. I go, man, I must have missed this, you know. So that night I was going to go home. I go, well, you know, you miss it sometimes. So I, 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 I went saw my dad. He was... I said goodnight to him, and there was an apartment next door, uh, this veteran's home. It's a veteran's hospital. And, and, uh, and uh, I stayed in that. They knew where I was. And so, so I said, hey, Dad, you know, talk to him about salvation. I said, Jesus, you know, needs to come into your life. And, and what do you think, Dad? And my dad looks at me, and he says, I'm ready. <laughs> You know, Irish, tough, used to box the middleweight champion of the world. I mean, this guy was just, would never give in. And all of a sudden, he said, yes. And I went, woo. So I said, Dad, grab my hands. He grabbed my hands, and we prayed a sinner's prayer. You know, Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life. And you can sense the presence of the Lord. I said, great, Dad. I'm going to be going home tomorrow, and I'll stay in contact. So I go home. I get in my apartment, 2 in the morning. They call me, your dad's gone. He died that night. Here, what I'm trying to say is we need to hear with the Holy Spirit. He he doesn't just do it certain ways or this way or that way. You know, he he doesn't the way he wants to. But, But we need to be aware that there's unsaved people around us. Yesterday, I, you know, we... We live in a 55 and over community, and I've made friends with some of the people, you know, and they know I'm a Christian. All they have to do is ask me what I did, and I go, well, I've been in ministry for 50 years. You know, what is that? You know, so there's a guy named Tony. His eyes are all messed up, you know, and he's, he's not religious or whatever, but I says, listen, my wife and I pray for the sick. Can we pray for you? He said, thank you. You could tell just, just, a little, just little seeds. You know what I'm saying? It's just natural. Not, not, you know, I, I, you know, let's put on our evangelist hat now. Evangelism is just part of life. Yeah. That's a, Jesus is my life, so why wouldn't I want to share him with people? That's, you know, not out of, reli- you know, not out of religious duty, but just, you know, like Tim, I didn't even know I did it. I, never, I don't even know I said it, you know. So, but there's, sometimes there's risks, you know, I mean, I was, I've been cussed at, spit on, uh, I mean, a, a lot of things happen, you know, we preached on the street in San Francisco, I had a church in the Tenderloin, we, we preached in Sproul Hall, and we had the hate man there, 
And, uh, you know, he would, uh, they used to set up speakers for me at Sproul Hall. Sproul Hall was a place in Berkeley at the university there where they had the, you know, all the protests of Vietnam War and Iraq War and all that. And I, I used to, uh, this Christian group was there, but, you know, none of them were preachers. So they'd call me and they'd set up speakers and I'd preach the gospel there in Berkeley. You know, it was just a door that w- that opened for me. And, um, and you know, he'd spit on and yelled at and cussed at and, and the rest. But that's the gospel. Yeah. Sometimes there's persecution on it. And the way our country's going right now, I'm concerned. I'm very concerned that persecution is here. And... Um, they want to close our churches, obviously. They did, actually. They want to close our churches. They want to close. Satan wants to close our mouth to the testimony of Jesus. And um, I work with the underground church with people that have, have been beaten and tortured and even killed in the underground church. And dedication, you know, but communism, you know. So God wants to strengthen us in our witness. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, and by not loving our life unto death. Amen? Amen. 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 Don't give up on your father or your mother or your relatives. It took 25 years for my dad to come to the Lord after I got saved. God is patient, and he's very long-suffering towards people. And sometimes after witnessing, witnessing nothing, no fruit, and all of a sudden, it, all of a sudden it's time for your family, for your relatives, for your kids. My son was, he's an MMA guy, you know, black belt in jiu-jitsu and a great fighter and stuff, but he's drifted away from the Lord. And he was in Seattle by himself. Lord fell on him. He came walking out of the door, and there was a Nigerian pastor there that discipled him, baptized him. His life totally changed, just boom. My friend Greg, who I told you about that discipled me, his, his wife left him years ago, and he, he started backsliding. He's been a, a total drunk, backslidden, and he was happy being backslidden. He just said, forget it, you know. And for many years, 20 years or so, all of a sudden he's sitting there watching a video, drinking, getting drunk, you know, like he did every day. And God falls on him and says, you don't have to do this anymore. And he looks around. This was over a year ago. The guy's more on fire for the Lord. I says, you're you're still in the Jesus movement. He's on fire for the Lord. God sovereignly touched him. Don't take out the sovereignty of God with your children, with your friends, but continue to plant seeds. That's all. You know, you don't have to be religious. Just, what are you doing with Jesus? God says, give him your shotgun. Give him your shotgun. You know, whatever God tells you to do. Amen? Be led. The Bible says those that are led by the Holy Spirit, those that are led by the Spirit of God, those are the sons of God. It doesn't say those that are led by the Bible. Now, the Bible is important. I read it every day, and that way if I can hear something of the Holy Spirit's telling me to do is if it's against the Bible, I know it's not the Holy Spirit, right? But we need to be sensitive to be led by the Holy Spirit in a natural, practical 
He lives in you. So he's going to be talking to you about people that are lost, right? He's going to use you. you we all have gifts, right? He's going to use you in the body. You need to be a functioning member of the body. I, uh, when we started baptizing people, people were getting saved. This was in the Jesus movement and the rest. You know, I was pastoring. And, uh, and I felt like the Lord says, I don't want you baptizing people anymore. I go, what do you mean? I'm, I'm the pastor. They always want me to baptize. He says, no, whoever leads them to the Lord, you have them baptized. So, so I went, oh, that's a, it says go and baptize those. It didn't say go pastors and baptize everybody. So I said, sounds good to me. So I announced it to the church. I said, if you want your kids baptized, you parents, you baptize them. If you, want, if you lead somebody to the Lord, I don't care if you're one day and he's two days old in the Lord, you're going to baptize them. So I did. I had everybody, you know, unless I had to, the, 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 who, what was in there. And I said, well, Jesus had 12 disciples. I, can, I might be able to have three. You know, we had hundreds of people in the church. I can't disciple all you guys. I can't disciple. I can barely disciple myself and three other people. Jesus only had 12. How, you know, everybody wants these big mega churches and stuff. I was going, man, I, you know, forget it. I can maybe get, make three disciples here. So you make disciples. That's, that's how the body grows. You, you pour in. You, you lead somebody to the Lord. You're responsible. You put them down in the water, and then you take care of them. Huh? Sounds like a good program to me. Sounds like the kind Jesus had. Huh? Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. That's you. So next time you lead somebody in the water, well, I, I, I can't be speaking for the pastor here, but, you know, think about it. At least disciple them if you don't baptize them. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for your ways. <laughs> we love your ways, Lord. You're just, you're fun. You're exciting. You're adventurous. <laughs> In many ways, Lord, you're just wild, wild at heart, Lord. You, you don't. We thank you that you don't keep us in a program, Lord. But you, we, you bust out of that program wherever it is, because you love people. You so love. You didn't just love. You so loved the world that you gave your only Son. You love sinners, Lord. And I'm, I'm I confess. I, I'm the chief of sinners. You love sinners. You're still in the saving grace business. You're still in the deliverance business. You're still in the healing business. Lord, you haven't changed. Your power is still the same. Lord, we pray you move upon us. Let this message, God, stir us for evangelism. Let it stir us, God, to be naturally spiritual, God. You said to do the work of an evangelist. Help us, Lord, all to do the work of an evangelist. In Jesus' name. Pastor. Amen. Can we thank Dennis? Yeah. Why don't you uh, stay up here, Dennis? Hey, Dennis, why don't you just stay up for a second? I agree with you on the baptism piece. We had a member of our church who was in a dojo down in Ocean Beach. He led one of the uh, his martial arts uh, guys to the Lord. He calls me from a payphone at that time. That's how old I am. And uh, he said, I just let some guy to the Lord here down at the do- dojo. He said, um, can we get him water baptized? I said, yeah, is there any water around there? And he's obviously standing by the ocean. 
I said, go baptize him. So I'm with you, man. Amen. Unleash the body of Christ. Jesus told his disciples, don't go anywhere to preach the gospel without first receiving the power from on high. The Bible also says that Paul said to Timothy, stir up the gift that's in you by the laying on of my hands. So there's an impartation of gifts that go from one believer into another believer by the laying on of hands. Also through the gift of prophecy when they prophesy over you. But also the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is the power of God upon you. The Holy Spirit is in you for you, but he's on you for others. And so the disciples already had the Holy Spirit in them because Jesus breathed on them, said, receive the Holy Spirit. Then he said, wait here until you receive the power from on high. Don't go preach your first sermon until you receive the power from on high. I want Dennis to lay hands on any of you who want him to lay hands on you because Dennis is a prophet. He has an anointing on him, and he will impart that to anybody who's hungry for it. That's one of the reasons God sent him to our church to be part of this body to build us up. So let's all stand. And if you want Dennis to lay hands on you, you can move your way up front here. Also want to ask the other prayer teams to come up, Gary and Kathy and others, come up and pray for the sick. Pray for those who want to get saved. Pray for those who need deliverance. I believe there's someone here that has been, this is a word of knowledge. That's what the Holy Spirit tells you something. Somebody has been tormented in your mind. Your thoughts are, it's like a, a steel cage in your mind. And you, you are tormented in your mind. If that's you, I want you to come up here and uh, let us pray for you to set you free. Jesus is here to save, heal, and deliver. Amen? Amen. Amen. So Josh is going to lead us in worship. And, uh, and we're going to pray for you. And you're welcome to stay. You're welcome to go. Make sure you get your kids. But God bless you. God bless you online. Thanks for being with us here today.